this morning? Good? You happy? This table right here is. <laughs> and the rest of you? All right, that's more like it. Okay. Well, if you happened to be here at the bridge this past Sunday, we had an awesome morning, great services with Jim King, who was here. And for those of you that uh, maybe didn't get a chance to stop by his table, we still have some of his devotional books available. They're at the table right next to our Connect Center over there. So you can stop by on your way out and um, look at those. They're awesome devotionals. They're they're the writings of a caveman. The title is Caveman, and just devotionals out of David's Psalms. And so I just encourage you to stop by and check those out before you leave today. But we have a special treat because his wife, Pam King, is going to be sharing with us here at Chick Connection today, sharing her heart, sharing the Father's heart, and I know it's going to be awesome. And for those of you who may not be familiar with Jim and Pam, their ministry is Awaking Hope. And they really minister all over the world, but especially in the Ukraine and in Israel, where they have planted over 200 churches, over 300 Bible schools, and it's just amazing ministry that they are doing. And she is, on top of all of that, she is wife, mom of two, Gigi to three beautiful grandchildren, and a fourth on the way. And I am honored to call her my very special friend. So would you just give a warm welcome this morning to Pam King. Thank you. It's so good to be here in California. I love California. And I just think that women in California are a little cooler than those of us from Oklahoma. You seem to get everything first. You seem to get all the fashion first. And you seem to be fashion forward. And you're just cooler. You know, we're just from Oklahoma. There's nothing there. There's just land. And some people will ask us, especially when we go overseas, when they hear that it's Indian territory, do you have Indians? Do you have teepees? And I say, yep, I'm married to an Indian. My husband is part Indian. My children are card-carrying Indians. My grandchildren are card-carrying Indians. And so there are no more teepees. I don't live in a teepee, but there are teepees around. We do have buffalo about an hour from us. And you can see cows on any given day as you you know, past the countryside, and I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is um, kind of a white-collar town, but um, we travel everywhere. I just want to go ahead and say a few things about my husband's book. You know, David wrote many of the Psalms, not all of the Psalms, but many of the Psalms, and he didn't write them from an opulent palace but many of the psalms that he wrote was hiding in a cave. And if you've ever been to Israel and seen some of the caves and where they had to go to get to the caves, it wasn't an opulent place or a place that you want to live. And so many of his psalms were written from those times where he was either running from his life or things were happening in, in his life that maybe he wasn't proud of or didn't want to happen, which is a lot of us. You know, we have things that happen in our life that we didn't really intend to happen. And 
these writings are just, this devotional is just, they're like five, ten-minute devotional. How many of you ladies are busy and you have good intentions, but sometimes things don't go as you plan, right? As we have grandchildren, young grandchildren, it's like when I keep them, I can be so well-planned and, you know, I have everything organized, but how many of you know at the last minute one of them can dirty their diaper or one of them can do something that you didn't plan and all of your planning and all of your good intentions go out the window. So don't be under condemnation if you don't have time to spend an hour in the Word or 30 minutes in the Word. We're all in different seasons of our life. But what I love about this devotional book is that he gives you a psalm and then he gives you a little something to go with it that will help you remember it. And he has some crazy, goofy titles like um, the awesome cheeseburger, uh, sing mama sing, just things that will help you remember because I don't know if you're like me, but I can read the Bible in the morning and then, you know, 30 minutes later I'm like, okay, now what was it that I read exactly? And so this will just kind of give you a little crazy title to help you remember those things. So you might want to buy it for your husband or somebody in your family. I want to talk to you today about, Anne's already shared a little bit about me because I always like to know a little bit about somebody that I'm fixing to listen to and I'll just tell you a funny story about myself. Is that okay? Because sometimes when people see people in ministry, they think they have it all together. What a glamorous lifestyle you lead. You travel all the time. Um, last year, for some reason, I counted and I was on well over 100 planes. Last month alone, I was over 20 some odd planes. And you may think, wow, that's a glorious, that's a glamorous, glorious lifestyle. Let me tell you, it's anything but glamorous. This was never my plan. If you had told me when I got married 30 some odd years ago that I'd still be traveling today and living out of a suitcase, I would have said, you are crazy, not happening to me. Well, several years ago, a church called me and I am not a preacher. I, I love to teach to women. I love to talk to women, but I don't like to get up on a Sunday morning and preach. That's my husband's job. Let him do it. He's great at it. I'm happy, you know, to sit on the front row and amen him and pray for him. But one time a church called me, not too far from Tulsa where we live, and said we ha we're having Women's Day at our church, and, we, and I'm sorry that we have one gentleman here. He can just close his ears for the next five minutes. I'm sorry, we would love to have you come speak on Women's Day on a Sunday morning. And I said, oh, I don't do that. I, I don't do anything like that. And so my husband was there, and he said, yep, you're going to do it. I don't want to do it, honey. You're going to do it. So he changed his schedule so he could be there at the time our children were still in high school or college. And I was very nervous. And that morning, back in the pastor's office, my husband said, let's go ahead and get your mic all set up. I was wearing a suit, and let's, you know, attach it to your skirt, and I'll tell the Sandman to, that I'm going to turn it on, but for him to mute it, and when you get up, you will have a handheld mic that you will sing in, and after you get through singing, you will lay the mic down, and at that point, the Sandman will know to turn your lavalier mic on. So it was all set, and, you know, I get up, and I'm I sing, and I lay the mic down, and I start speaking to the congregation, and it was very quiet, and it was like ice, and I'm thinking, God, you got to help me, and so I start talking, and 
I can hear myself, but nobody else can hear me because the mic is not on because the sound man, unlike the one we have today, must have been asleep or playing on his phone or watching football on TV or something and didn't know what was going on. And so I'm talking, and my husband and my children are sitting over here on the front row, and the pastor and his wife are sitting right in front of me on the front row. So as I'm talking and continuing to talk, I think, he'll wake up in a minute, and he'll turn my mic on. And it didn't happen. So the pastor, he's sitting on the front row, and of course, I can see what he's saying, but nobody else can see, and so he's mouthing to me, turn your mic on turn your mic on. And so I keep talking, thinking, okay, I know my microphone is on. The sound man will wake up. And he keeps saying to me, turn your mic on. Turn your mic on. So I finally say back to the pastor, who nobody knows that he is having this conversation with me, but to let him know I know what's going on. I'm not stupid here. And this is the first thing that the whole congregation was a large auditorium heard come out of my mouth. I said, my husband turned me on this morning. That was the first words they heard come out of my mouth. I looked over on the left and I saw my children with their face in their hands. And my husband is beat red. And I'm thinking, oh God help me. What do you do in a situation like that? You just go right over it and just move right on. All that ice that was there before that somehow broke and everybody was a little bit more relaxed. My husband said to me afterwards, he said, I wish it were that easy. I wish I could just flip a switch and turn you on. So, you know, people always remember you for the things you don't want them to remember you by. Isn't that true? Always. It's never the good things, it's the things, the goof-ups that you do or the wrong things that you say. Well, today I want to talk to you about getting your love on and making a love imprint. I know that this month or this time you were talking about love and loving others. I want to start with the scripture, Matthew 22, verse 37, which says, these are words of Jesus, and he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. If we just took that out of the word of God and did it, that is the first and the greatest commandment. And then it goes on to say, and the second is equally important, to love your neighbor as yourself. To learn how to love, we need to first look at how Jesus loved and still loves. His footprint of love and the impression that he has left for us, that he made on the earth. He's our pattern. He's our example that we are to pattern and to live our lives after. Jesus wasn't manifested to leave a good impression. He was manifested to leave a God impression. And that's what one of our purposes is, is to leave a God impression upon the earth. We are to leave a footprint, an impact upon our world today. It's one thing to leave an impression in the ground, but it's another thing to leave an impression upon the earth. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. People will never forget how you made them feel. And as Jesus walked the shores of Galilee, his footprints have long been washed away and they've long been removed. 
but his impression that he made upon the earth still lives today and the impression that he's made upon our lives and the lives of others will last for eternity and we who are called by his name are called to leave an impression a God impression an impression of love now what does he expect of you and of me well when you make an impression you can actually make a mold from that impression you can make a mold from an impression and if you have a mold you can actually make copies I don't know if you have a franchise out here called nothing but cakes B-U-N-D-T you have that little store well of course you probably had it for a long time we just got it like a few months ago so that's what I'm saying we in Oklahoma are way behind but I mean it's not too far from my house and greatest invention ever you can pop in there and get a bunt cake and I love the looks of the bunt cake but I especially love those little mini ones and even though they all look alike don't they they're all bunt cakes they can decorate them differently and they have all kinds of different uh, flavors and you can get red velvet you can get chocolate chip you can get gluten-free which is amazing so even though we have all these molds that look alike they're still different but you can make copies one after another after another with a mold like this now let me ask you is it possible for me and for you to pour our life into this mold of Jesus Christ is it possible for us to pour our lives into that mold because Jesus is our pattern he is our mold the mold of love the purpose of a mold is to constrain that that is being poured into it it's the mold that takes the shape not the substance so whatever I pour into this mold is gonna take the shape of this mold this mold isn't gonna conform to the shape of the substance but the substance is going to conform to the shape of this mold so is it possible for me and for you to pour our lives into that mold which is Christ into his love now all of you have you'll see their little cupcake molds I wanted to get like really nice molds for all of you but there's just too many of you and to order them and bring them out here is going to be way too expensive so can you just maybe pass those around so you can sit there and have it in front of you to look at as I speak today so let's answer the question is it possible for me and for you to pour our lives into that mold which is Christ into his love if we look at the Old Testament in the Old Testament the tabernacle is what housed or contained the presence of God and David found favor in the eyes of God and it was his desire and he asked for permission to build a tabernacle but Solomon was the one that built the tabernacle but it's God's plan if we look in the New Testament it's God's plan for the Holy Spirit to rest in a temple made by God's hands not human hands and that's what we are this church this building is not the temple of God we are the temple we are the temple of the Holy Spirit God's Spirit rests in us and the mold is Christ and if we look at John 17 verse 22 to 23 he says I have given them the glory you gave me talking about us that they might be as one as I am as we are one 
I am in them and you are in me, and may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent them and that you love them as much as you love me. Did you get that? That you love them as much as you love me. And our unity as one in the body of Christ causes the world to recognize and to know that Jesus is real. When we are one, it will cause the world to know that the Father loves us to the same degree that he loves Jesus. You have to be confident. You have to be confident of the fact that, G that the Father loves you. Are you confident of that? That he loves you to the same degree that he loved Jesus. That's the number one thing you have to be confident about. And so this mold, which is Christ, the love of God, made an impression upon the earth. It made an impression upon the earth, which is what we are to do. If we carry out the plan of God, the plan of Jesus for our lives, if we carry out what he taught us and what he showed us and what he teaches us, we are to make an impression upon the world. And so we've established that we're qualified to be poured into this mold. But what does he expect of me? What does he expect of you? Isaiah 64 says that we are the clay and he is the potter. You can't conform to or be reformed to fit into this mold yourself. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. How many of you like bread? Or I should say, is there anybody in here that doesn't like bread? You might not eat it, but we all love bread. And we love the smell of bread, and we love how very beautiful it is. When we lived in Ukraine, we moved our family to Ukraine in the uh, mid-1990s, 1994 to be exact, and we lived in an apartment building right across from the bread factory. So at night, you would smell it. Oh my gosh, there's nothing like the smell of fresh bread baking. And so we'd send Drew and Natalie, our two children, to walk across the street and get us a loaf of that bread. And we would spread butter on it. And I mean, we would eat that, and that's why we gained like 15 pounds the first few months we were there. Because there's nothing like the smell of bread. And one of the Ukrainian customs that they do when they have a foreign visitor or somebody comes into their home because they're very hospitable people, is they make this beautiful bread. And they put little decorations. They make little flowers and leaves out of the dough, and they put it on top, and then they, you know, glaze it over with, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a bread maker. Uh, you know, I, I can always kill the yeast or, you know, I, I never can do it right. So, but it is gorgeous and it's so pretty you don't want to eat it and you think it's not going to taste good, but it tastes as good as it looks. And you love to eat that bread, but if you go to make bread, you make it with a piece of dough, if you don't kill the yeast, that is, and then you have to knead it and you have to punch it and poke it and then you have to roll it out to make that beautiful bread. And have you ever thought that as that beautiful bread comes out of the piece of, out of the oven and, and we all love it and we go to Starbucks and we see those beautiful croissants and the bakeries, do you think that bread ever says, oh, this is too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. Stop it. Stop 
changing me. Stop punching around on me. Stop kneading me. Stop twisting me. Stop rolling me out. You think the bread ever says that? Stop it. It's uncomfortable. However, if we're going to fit into this mold of Jesus Christ and his love, that's what we have to allow him to do to us. You know, I'm uh, half Sicilian, so my husband says he sleeps with one eye open because I come from the cutthroat mafias and probably still have some of those in my family. Don't mess with me. I'll call Uncle Luigi and he'll take care of you. You ever watch them make pizza and throw it up in the air, you know, and then they pull it and they pat it. And we all love the final product of that bread and that pizza. But if we want to fit into the mold of Jesus Christ and his love, we have to allow him to mold us and to knead us and to chip away all the things that aren't supposed to be there so we can have the final the beautiful product. That is what is required of us. That is what he requires. That is the process. The secret to success is not only to focus on the goal, but to focus on the process. The process will eventually lead you to the goal. And what was Jesus' purpose? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That was his purpose. But on his way to fulfilling his purpose, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He washed the disciples' feet. He visited the home of Mary and Martha. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He healed the centurion's servant. The woman with the issue of blood touched him, and he healed her from the issue of blood. On his way to his goal, his purpose, the thing that he was sent to do, he did all those other things. Hey, you know, we women are busy. We're busy. Come on, ladies. We are. We're busy. We have to take care of children. We have to take care of the home. We have to buy the groceries. We do the meal planning. Then we execute those meal plans. Then we make sure that everybody is fed. Everybody gets their homework. The kids get their homework. We take care of it. Some of us pay the bills. We take care of all of those things. And then we do laundry and laundry and more laundry. Have you ever wondered, how does it multiply so quickly? And so we're busy. We don't have time to be distracted. We don't have time to be sidetracked. But my husband, one of the things he says, if you're still sucking air, there's a purpose for you on this earth. And your purpose is much more and much greater than laundry and housekeeping and cooking and buying the groceries and going to the dry cleaners. So on our way to our goal, which might be, you know, my goal today, I, I'm, I'm a list maker. I'm task-oriented, so I like to make my list, and I love to check them on off, all off. But on my way to buy groceries or on my way to the dry cleaners, sometimes I get sidetracked. Sometimes God sidetracks me in that there's a lady here, Pam, that just needs you to show her kindness, show her the love of Jesus. Because that's the only way some people discover the love of Jesus is by us and the way that we act. So on our way to the goal, we try to push people aside because we don't have time. You're not in my plan today. You're not on my list of things to accomplish. And that is not being poured into this mold of Jesus Christ. 
So on our way to the grocery store, on our way to the dry cleaners, God can put somebody in our path. When my kids were young, and at the time we lived in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, which my husband was raised there, we were both raised there, we lived across the street from a couple, or actually they moved in after us. And how many of you know that I might be a missionary, but, and I may go to a foreign field, but you are a missionary too right where you are, where you live. You don't have to go to Africa. You don't have to go to Ukraine. You don't have to go to Russia. Sometimes you just have to walk across the street because that's your mission field. We all have a mission field. Your mission field might look different than mine, but we all have a mission field. And so I begin to realize, because God began to speak to me, Pam, you can travel all over the world, but there's people right around here in your sphere of influence that you need to minister to. So Mike and Janie, and their son, Matt, moved in across the street from us, and Janie worked, and Mac, Matt, uh, Mike was a highway patrolman, and Matt was about the age of Drew, and I began to ask the Lord, okay, Lord, show me how I can pour my life into this mold and minister to Janie. She really didn't have time. She worked a full-time job, and so I would just do little things like bake chocolate, cook cookie, chocolate chip cookies and take them over and say, yeah, I was just baking some cookies and thought you might want them today. Or I'd say, hey, if you ever need a babysitter for Matt, please leave him with us. We'd love to have him. We'd love for him to, you know, hang out with Drew and play with Drew. Just whatever that I could do. And then one time she asked me, she said, I really would like to walk and exercise. I said, oh, I'd love to walk with you. Let's do it. She says, well, the only time I can do it is 6 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, oh, really? I don't have to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning because I don't have to go to a job. I'm a stay-at-home mom when we're here, and I don't have to do that. But, you know, if you want to be poured into that mold, you kind of do it the way God says to do it, right? And so I felt that quickening. And so, okay, I'll get up and walk with you at 6 o'clock in the morning. So we'd walk. You know who Janie would call when she had a problem? Me. Well, move forward a few years and God calls us to move from there and to move to another city and I said Janie I would really love for you to come to church with us today to our home church my husband's going to be preaching because we're going to be moving out of town love for you to come I've got dinner fixed and going to fix you Italian spaghetti and we'll have you over to our home just come go church with us okay you know what they came you know what Janie raised her hand to receive the Lord that day A few years ago, Janie died a very strange death at a very young age. I thought of that many times. Now, if I hadn't been willing to lay aside my plans and be inconvenienced a little bit and a little uncomfortable to fit into this mold of love, let's fast forward a few years. Jim and I have traveled, been in a traveling ministry for over 35 years. and. We love what we do, and in the early 1900s, when the Iron Curtain fell, an organization called my husband and said, you've been recommended to us, and we're going into the former Soviet Union and preaching crusades, and we'd love for you to go and preach a crusade for us. Make a long story short, God had already spoken to my husband to do that, but he started doing that on a regular basis. And I began to realize that he was really enjoying going over there. And he said to me one time, I'd really love for you to go with me sometime, Pam. And I go, nah, I can't do it. Our children are too young. I would never go out of the country 
uh, unless we left them with family, and I would never ask family to keep them that long because it was like a 10-day trip. And so, you know what? It's just not a good season in my life for me to go. Okay. It wasn't long after that that his mother called, and she said, Pam, uh, Dad and I would like to fly up from Texas the next time Jim goes to Russia and take care of the children so you can go with him. I was like, all out of excuses. By then, God was dealing with my heart. Some things had transpired, so we actually went to Ukraine to hold a crusade. And I remember, and I was kind of like this. I didn't mind for Jim to go. He could go, leave me a credit card, leave me some cash, and leave me a car to drive. You can go. You can stay as long as you want. We'll be at the airport to pick you up when you come back. But God was, you know how when you start feeling uncomfortable and you know God is stirring your nest and you're kind of like, oh, I don't like this feeling. And I went with Jim to Ukraine and as I stood on that platform that night to sing, and you have to understand, we would rent houses of culture, so opera houses, and there would be masses amount of people. They would put two and three people in a seat in a, in a, in a building that had no air conditioning or no heat in the middle of winter. So they all there, you know, with their, hot, their coats on and their, you know, fur hats and, and sitting there freezing. They didn't care. They were so glad to be there. And I remember standing on that platform and looking out over, a sea, over the sea of faces and on their face was written, no hope. No hope. And Jim preached the gospel. Many of them gave their heart to the Lord. And I watched their countenance change from no hope to there's hope. And God spoke to my heart. He said, these people have a right to hear the gospel. And whatever it takes for you to give up your comfortable lifestyle and to move so they can hear the gospel. And we did, we moved our family in the fall of 1994. And you know what? I was happy as I was in my home, my luxury, I would call my luxury home in Tulsa because in my home in Ukraine, I had no garbage disposal, I had no dishwasher, I had no washing machine, I had no dryer, I washed clothes out by hand. You know, that's when I told my kids, you will wear those clothes more than once. You better wear them until we can stand them up in the corner. I was just as happy. And there was days I would, I would sit there in my ugly apartment because all the furniture was back in the 40s and 50s and the wallpaper had to be from the 40s and 50s. And I'd look around and I'd laugh to myself and I'd say, if my friends could only see me now, they would never in a million years believe that I was living here and loved it because I loved it because I was fitting my life in the mold that Jesus said. So you think sometimes you're going in one direction, that's your plan, but on your way to that plan or that direction or to fulfill what you think is your purpose for that day, God says, hey, I've got another direction for you to go to. I've got another direction for you to move in. I've got somebody that you need to meet. I've got somebody that you need to see. This is what is called the, the mold of love. And we have that pattern, that mold of love. And he is asking us to trust him to pour our lives into this mold. Now, we established that he, we're qualified. He qualified by making us. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Then he sanctified us. 
And he dwells within us, and he let us know that he loves us as much as he loves Jesus. Now, when our lives are poured into this mold, this is what it'll look like. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. The other night, we were driving home from church, me and my son-in-law, our five-year-old, our five-year-old granddaughter, Ella, and... Um, she was telling us about, she said, I was trying to tell my teacher because her mother just became pregnant and it was a big secret and she wasn't supposed to tell, but she said, I was trying to tell my teacher that my mommy was going to have a baby, but she wasn't paying any attention to me. And that is just rude. And we got so tickled. You know, that is just rude. So love is not to be rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Ask yourself as you look at your little cupcake mold there, will you allow God to fit you into his mold? How do we fit into this mold? By allowing the master potter to mold us, to chip away, to reform us, and then we love like Jesus loved. Now I want to look at the second part of the scripture that I read to you to begin with, love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind, and then to love our neighbor as ourself. And we always, you know, we got to love our neighbor. The Bible commands us to love our neighbor. But look at what it says. It says to love our neighbor as ourself. What that says to me is, I've got to love myself before I love my neighbor. I have to love myself before I have to love my neighbor. We're commanded to love ourselves. So, well, Pam, isn't that a little egotistical, a little prideful? No. So what? the Bible commands us to do is to love ourselves. You know, we women are pretty amazing. We're good at just about anything that we set our minds to do. We can do it. But there's one major flaw that we have, and that is we like to take the tape measure out and measure ourselves against one another. We compare ourselves with one another, and we feel like that we don't measure up. And the devil wants to make you discontent with who you are. He wants you to think that you've been shortchanged, that you're not good enough, you're not tall enough, you're not smart enough, you're not skinny enough. Let's look at Adam and Eve. They were created perfectly in the image of God, yet they weren't satisfied. And they tried to improve upon what God had already made perfect. Genesis 1.26 says, that God made us in his image after his likeness. But the devil conned Adam and Eve into thinking that they had been shortchanged. And that's what the devil does to us, too. He cons us into thinking that God somehow has shortchanged us. It's not who you are that holds you back. It's who you think that you're not. It's not who you are that holds you back. It's who you think that you're not. So much of the time we concentrate 
all of our efforts on the things that we aren't instead of the things that we are. We concentrate on the things that we, people have said about us. We concentrate on the way that people made us feel. But one of the things I want you to get today is to get your love back on for yourself and realize you've got to love yourself. You've got to love yourself first before you can love your neighbor, before you can love others. You've got to be happy with who God made you to be and quit comparing yourself with others. First, 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, those that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Let me give you the creek according to Pam. Those that compare themselves among themselves are stupid. It's a stupid thing to compare yourself with others because you stay weak when you compare yourself to someone else rather than rejoicing in who God made you to be. And when you compare yourself with others, you put limits on what God can do in you and through you. You put limits on God. Comparison only distracts us from being, only distracts us from what we are to be thinking, living, and being. Comparison pushes people away from us and pushes us away from our destiny. It causes us to misappreciation for our own uniqueness. Comparison leads to envy and it keeps us weak. And we want to be the women that God has empowered us to be. And the way we do that is we love ourselves and we quit comparing ourselves. Now, I know how you women, I know how your mind works. I am one. We women are alike. I, we can go all around the world. Women are women, no matter what country they're in. And we all think alike. We're alike. I know how your mind thinks because my mind thinks the same way. We think, you know, that little voice in our head, you don't, you're not smart enough to do that. You're not tall enough to do that. You don't meet people well enough. You don't speak well enough to get up in front of people. All those little thoughts, you're not talented enough. You're not pretty enough. All those little thoughts that go on inside of our head, you know what they are? They are lies of the devil. And we allow the devil to shortchange us and to con us into thinking that we can't do it, that we can't allow our life to be put in the mold of Jesus. And Galatians 6, 4 says that we are to rejoice in ourselves. We are to rejoice in ourselves. So get your love back. Get your love back for yourself. We have a hard time as women loving ourselves, but we are commanded to love ourselves. Did you know that? We are commanded to love ourselves. And we can't love others until we first love ourselves. We can't love our families the way that we need to love our families until we love ourselves. So let's go back to Matthew 22. We're to love God with all our heart and we're to love our neighbor as ourself. Love yourself. Value yourself. Value where God has put you. Recognize you're unique. Recognize that your shoes walk where no one else's shoes walk. You will reach people. You will have the opportunity to reach people. You will have the opportunity to influence people that nobody else in this room will have. You will have the opportunity to reach people and meet people that I will never have the opportunity because my shoes don't walk where your shoes walk and your shoes don't walk where I walk. And you need to recognize and you need to get your love back on yourself so when you look in the mirror every day, you love the person in the mirror and you say, 
I am the best Pam King that there is because I am the only Pam King and I am the best Pam King and I will be the best Pam King that God created me to be. There's nothing egotistical about that. You're just rising to the person that God created you to be. Be the best that you can be and don't let the devil shortchange you into being something that you're not. Amen. So love yourself and value where God has placed you. Love this season of life that you're in. Love this season of life that you're in. You know, we had never met Olivia, and we've watched Zach and Zane grow up. In fact, I was there when Zane was born. Our children, Natalie and Zane, are six months apart to the day. Drew and Zach are two months apart. And so I was excited to meet Olivia and I'd met Ashley one or two other times. and Just to see, I hope you don't mind me um, using you as an example, Ashley, but watching her with Olivia, just so patient, so kind, so loving, watching her interact with her. And as I've watched my own daughter, there's moments when I thought, oh man, I wish I could just rewind a little bit. I would have done things a little bit differently. But to watch young mothers and what a job. I tell people, when you get married, that's the hardest work you'll ever do in your life. But then when you have children, that is the hardest work you'll ever do. But how rewarding it is. And so many times we're like, if I could just get out of this season of diapers, if I could just get them potty trained, and then if I can just get them in school, if I can just get them graduated from school, get them in college, get them married. Have, we're always looking forward to the next season. But enjoy this season that you're in because in the season that you're in is a preparation for the next season that you're going to be going to. And God has something to do in you in this. And don't ever begrudge that season of life that you're in. You know, Jim and I made a decision years ago. We were going to love every season of our life. And we were going to work on our relationship in every season of our life. Because when we got down to the empty nest, we wanted to still like each other. Love has its seasons, and you must be able to transition or you'll be wearing a parka in the summer and a bikini in the winter. <laughs> love that you have a purpose. And love that you are the answer to somebody's problem. You are the answer to somebody's problem. Have you ever prayed and said, God, do you even know where I'm at? Do you even concerned about me? Could you just send somebody my way to encourage me today? And what if you were that person to encourage, but on your way to the grocery store, on your way to the dry cleaners, get out of my way, get out of my way, get out of my way. I got a mission. I got something to accomplish. You do. And you know what that is? To show people God's love and to make an impression of his love upon other people. I teach marriage and family at a Bible school in Tulsa a quarter a year. And one of the things that I tell them, young people always say, oh, we fell in love. And it's a wonderful thing, but guess what? If you fall in love, you can fall out of love. And how do you fall out of love? You quit paying attention to the small details. Sometimes we fall out of love with Jesus because we quit spending time with him and quit having fellowship with him. But Jesus never falls out of love with you. You can't do anything. You can't do anything bad enough. You can't be rude enough. You can be rude enough to make him 
fall out of love with you. You have to love the woman in the mirror. You are made in the likeness and the image of God. And God loves the woman he sees. Do you? You should never be ashamed of the woman that you see in the mirror. And your friends, your family, your husband, your children, your church, they need you to be yourself and not somebody else. We love God by obeying his commandments, by obeying his word, by obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit. And how do we fit into this mold? We learn to love like Jesus loved, by making an impression, a mold, a lasting mold upon the earth, a, a mold, a, a lasting impression upon the people that we come in contact with, on our neighbors, the people that we work with, the people that we see at the, at the grocery store, the people that we see at the park, the people, everyone that we come in contact with. And then we learn to love ourselves because we've got to love ourselves before we can love our neighbor. And then we learn to love by obeying his voice. And I want to just ask you today, will you trust God to pour your life into his mold? Will you trust him to pour your life into his mold? Because he has a better plan for your life than what you have. One thing I've learned is that obedience always commands the blessings of God. And that when I've walked in obedience to the Lord, He's brought so much blessing into my life. Will you allow him and trust him to just chisel off those little rough edges, you know, knead you a little bit, roll you out a little bit, patch you, spread you, so that you can fit into his mold and you can be like him and you can reach the people that he has. I want to leave a God impression upon the earth. What about you? I want to leave a God impression. Can we pray? Is there anybody here that you really don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You've never really let him be Lord and Savior of your life. You've never really let him take the will of your life. If there's anybody here I just want to first of all pray with you. You can commit, Lord, I want you to take control of my life. I'm tired of being in control. I don't want control anymore. I want you to take control. And then there's those of us who, Lord, I want you to take my life. And I want you to pour me into your mold your mold of love. And then there's some of you that you don't like yourself. You don't love yourself. God wants to tell you today He created you perfectly. He loves you. He'll never fall out of love with you. And in order for you to love others, you've got to learn to love yourself. Can we just all repeat this prayer? Cover all three of those areas. Father, today I put my life in your hand. I want you to be in charge of my life. 
I'm tired of running my life. I don't want to run it anymore. And I want to make you Lord and Savior of my life. Lord, I commit this day, I'm going to love myself with your help. I'm going to look at that woman in the mirror. I'm going to say, I love her. I'm going to love her. And I'm going to love my neighbor like I do myself. And Lord, I take the mold and I trust you to pour my life into your mold. All the rough edges that I might have, all the things that need to be pulled away, cut away, I give you permission to do that in my life today because I want to make a God impression on this earth. I want to make an impression that will last in people's lives for eternity. I don't care if they remember what I had on. I don't care if they remember what I did. But I want them to remember the God in me. That's the impression I want to leave with them. In Jesus' name, amen.